Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here and welcome to episode 10 of Music on the Run. This week's guest is Lenny Castro. And Lenny is the percussionist for Toto. He's been with them since the very beginning and he has played with everybody on the planet. Before we get to the interview, I just want to say I hope you're safe. I hope you're healthy during this incredibly strange time in our lives. Uh, my wife and I are hunkered down. I'm in the studio, there's nobody else here. I've got my uh, handy dandy Clorox wipes that I'm wiping everything down with. But in all seriousness, I, I really hope that you're doing okay. And thank you for tuning in to Music on the Run. Check out this interview with Lenny Castro. Check it out. Before we get started here, do me a favor, wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and you like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here, and welcome to another special edition of Music on the Run. Live from the National Association of Music Merchants, better known to us as NAM, in front of a live audience. Let me hear you out there. See, I told you. We're so glad to be here. We're in Orange County, uh, actually, uh, at the Anaheim Convention Center. This is, a, I think, the largest music convention. Am I right about that? It's got to be the largest music con convention of the year. Uh, I don't know how many people are here, 100,000. So it's, crazy. It's, a, it's a large amount of people, and we're sitting in this beautiful, beautiful space that Electra Voice has provided for us, so we're glad to be here. They're a great Minneapolis company. We use their RE20 mics on every single podcast that you've been hearing, and we're honored to be here, and so we're, 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 uh, we're going to get right to it. Uh, my guest today... Uh, has toured with so many different people. I'm not going to go through the list because I'd be up here and he wouldn't be out here uh, for another 20 minutes. But let me just drop a couple names. Fleetwood Mac, Joe Bonamassa, David Sanborn, Melissa Manchester, Joe Sample, and of course, he's a touring member of the incredible band Toto. He's one of the most recorded percussionists in pop history. Uh, he loves what he does, and he's just all about the groove. Please welcome my buddy, Lenny Castro. There you go. You better like, eat that's that. That's a nice mic. little ditty you got going on. You like that ditty? It's very funky. Boy, thank you. I'm uh, trying to do my best, man. But you don't. What's missing from there? Uh, you. Me. <laughs> <laughs> More cowbell. Yeah, that's right. Hey, thanks for making the time to come by here uh, at Nam. I for know you, how Paul. Anything, crazy. Anything. Yeah, it's fun come to see on. you again. Now we had tried to do this while you're on the uh, 40 trips around the sun. You and Luke were going to stop by, <laughs> yeah. but. It's, it was too crazy. <laughs> Being on the road, man, it's, it's a tough schedule. It just, you try to fit little things in or people start showing up, you know, and it's just, you start realizing, I've got one day off. What am I doing? Yeah, you, you start you know? scheduling. <laughs> I mean, I would have loved to have seen you, but when you said, man, we're tired, I'm like, 
Stay home. <laughs> we'll find another time to do this. But that's an important part. And that's yeah. that's really what this podcast is all about. Of course, we're gonna I'm gonna talk about music with you because we mm. can't hip it. Yes. Uh, but we want to really focus on you know how you survive and balance your life while you're on the road because mm. that's what you've been a road dog for how many years? Oh, <laughs> over forty years. Is that right? Over forty years. Wow. Yeah, I think oh. I started with Melissa like in '75. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. That's when I first started going on the road. Actually, I did one thing when I was with the Latin. I was uh, when I was about fourteen years old. I was running with a Latin band, this guy named Johnny, Johnny Colon, who was a trombone player turned keyboard player. So. All right. So, uh, where is this, in New York? In New York, okay. yeah, New York, where I'm from. And so I, did, uh, I was working with him, and I took a trip. we took a trip to Chicago. Okay. That was my first road trip, you know. Stayed at the Lincoln Arms Hotel, which is this. And you're still there. 15 years old, 14 years old? It was about 14, 15. And yeah. your parents the let you do that. They're like, please, yeah. leave. No, there was no way that they could stop me, to tell you the truth. I was gone. Yeah, that, you, you, you were know. ready. Well, you know, I started doing the gigs, and I started making my own money, so that was it. I mean, so, I, was my, I was my own man, pretty much, you know. And I, you know, I, I did that purposefully to, uh, to help my parents out, you know. Wow. I told them, you know, don't spend any money on me. I'm making my own bread now. Help my sisters out, blah, blah, blah. I'm good. I bought my own glasses, my own underwear. I bought... You know, from we the time we you were, were a little we kid. Yeah, we weren't very well to do, so you okay. know, I had to do my share. That's incredible, man. Well, that's, that's what you got to do. So that's let's t- take me back to your your family and what was going on in the house. Are you are you listening oh. to music? Who, what kind of music is coming in via oh. LPs and that? My parents had the greatest vinyl collection known to man. That was part of that was a heavy, heavy part of my uh, education before I started going to music school and started mm. actually studying when I was three, four, five, and plus Looney Tunes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I knew about the Blue Danube before I even knew what the hell Blue Danube was. Because <laughs> you were watching, you know, I was seeing it. And I was like, Tunes. yeah, but that's Bugs Bunny. Yeah. He's a uh, no, it's not. Wow. But I knew what it was, you know. But right. but they had an incredible vinyl collection. I mean, Art Blakey. Miles Davis, Bebop, Bebop, Cal Jada, Latin, plus, you know, Tito Puente, Pete Rodriguez, okay. all those guys. And I pretty much grew up with those guys. Wow. Uh, well, actually, okay. my, my biological father uh, was a keyboard player in the Latin circuit for a long time. Is that right? Yeah, my real dad. Yeah. Okay, but your stepdad is the one who came in and kind of encouraged you and got well, you Well, he your... was the one that he raised me. Okay. Because you know, my mom and my dad separated when I was very, very young, but... Uh, my stepdad, God bless him, he taught me how to be a Mets fan. Uh, he how has that <laughs> been so far? <laughs> nice weather with him, ain't it? No, I love my Mets, you kidding me? No, and uh, he taught me how to be a man, how, what it was to make money, and, you know, how to, how to you know, do my shit right. You know, he was... Tell me your, your, your stepdad's name. Uh, George. George okay. Cordero. He All right. Was, yeah, he was, he was a GI, you know, he was stationed in Japan when he was younger. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he got older, that's all. <laughs> because I go to Japan all the time. Now, Japan's like my second home, and I speak oh. Japanese, and my wife is Japanese. Oh, okay. So when my dad was alive, every time I'd go home, he says, you know, I was in Japan. And I did, yeah, Dad, <laughs> I know, but I love you. Come on, let's go have some steamed clams down at the pier. Was he musical? No. He, he was wasn't? A, he was a spaz. God bless him. He... I would I would be sitting in front of the the radio listening to Dick Ricardo Sugar or Symphony Sid the radio shows and I'd sit there with my bongos and play to anything that came on. 
Where did you get your bongos? So like when you were my, tiny my, kid? My dad, yeah. My dad okay. bought oh, me okay. a set of bongos. Okay. He also, they also bought me a little conga. Because what happened was my sisters used to turn them upside down and pee in them. They used, <laughs> they used to think they were piss pots. Thank you. But anyway... Yeah, my sisters hate that story. Oh, yeah, we're going to get them good for that one. Oh, That's yeah. how I'm going to lead the, the advertising for this podcast. <laughs> so, Sister Peas and Bongo, next on Music on the Run. Pee and Bongos. So my dad, every now and then, he'd say, hey, let me give it a try. And so I'd give him the bongos, and then it'd be like, no, dad, no, dad, you know what? And then he'd realize, boy, he was totally off. You know, I said, well, you do it much better, so I like watching you do it. So, but he, he instilled something differently in you, and it wasn't necessarily musicality. But it, uh, what was that that he that you got from him, and oh, the way he led his life? Man, just to go with, go for what you want and don't say no. Really, that's it. Hmm. That was it. It was like you want that, go get it. And he told me before I left the house, he told me, you know, there's no room for second best in this family. Ooh. Before I left, and never root for the Yankees. <laughs> Those two things, I, I, huh? I'm telling well, you. I he can was, go with that. I'm a Twins fan, was, so we don't he, like the Yankees. Oh, my God. He never forgave the Yankees for, I mean, the, 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 the Dodgers. It was the Dodgers, he said. Oh, Brooklyn Dodgers? Don't, don't, yeah, don't root for the Yankees or the Dodgers. Oh, okay. Because I moved to L.A., and he was like, you know, don't move for <laughs> You still can't vote. You can't root for them. No. Oh. So, <laughs> you were, so you were encouraged to play and go out and be your own man, and you yeah. were playing, yeah. you said, on tour at age 14. Eddie Palmieri. And, I did a little bit with Eddie. Okay. Yeah, I, I took to I, I I subbed for Milton Caldona a couple of times, you know, um, at the Cheetah, and I got to hang out with all those guys, Eddie Gomez and oh. uh, Andy Gomez and uh, and uh, his brother Jerry. Uh, uh, no, Gonzalez, the Gonzalez brothers. I'm sorry. Okay. Andy and Jerry Gonzalez, um, incredible musicians. Plus, uh, Nicky Marrero. Uh, 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 Mario Rivera, all these incredible musicians I started to hang so you, out with. So you, you play Latin music, but you play way more genres than just that. I mean, that yeah. what was being played in your house was not only Latin music, but it was bebop. Well, it, was, it was not only the vinyl collection, it was uh, the radio also. Okay. I listened to the radio was incredible in those days. Right. There were great stations. There was great music. Like I just mentioned, two shows that were on the, on the, on the, on the weekends, uh, Dick Ricardo Sugar. The famous DJ and Symphony Sid, they both had shows on the weekends. Mm. And that was uh, a very special thing. I mean, my parents would get their rum and cokes and I'd get my bongos. And we, and the whole neighborhood would be listening to the, to the station. Yeah. Okay. And so the neighborhood, especially summertime, windows would be open, people would be on the fire escapes, people dancing in the streets, and I'd be on my bongos. <laughs> you know? It was cool, though. I mean, it was just so much fun. So I listened to the radio a lot. I got into the pop thing. My mother was also into really old-style country western, believe it or not. Really? So I got to really appreciate that no at a very kidding. early age. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great to have this. It's yeah. like a melting pot of genres oh. in your house. And then I did the classical thing. You know, I went to uh, old, old borough. Or borough, uh, 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 um, band and orchestra, and high, all high school borough. Who's Mr. Rosenthal? Oh, come on! Mr. Rosenthal, tell, these guys was, <laughs> tell them about Mr. Mr. Rosenthal. Rosenthal was a conductor that I had at the Manhattan Boroughwide uh, uh, Orchestra. Okay, and, and he was amazing. He could throw a pen from the podium and hit the trumpet player right <laughs> in the chest. I actually saw him do that because the guy was just not paying attention. Right, you know, and you know, that's the one thing I really learned from classical music was discipline. You know, hmm. an incredible discipline. And this guy was jerking around, and Mr. Rosenthal was like, I ain't having that. 
Really? Yeah. But he was a, he was an amazing guy. He was inspirational. Uh, kids loved him. So he helped mold you for those? Oh, yeah. Him okay. and, and, a, and another gentleman by the name of uh, Mr. Just, Robert Just, who was my junior high school music teacher, who actually helped me buy my first drum set through the school so I could get a 50% discount. Did you have you ever gone back, or did you back in the day ever go back to your teachers and say hello and invite them to concerts? I'm I'm still in touch with Mr. Just. Are you? Yeah, he's down in Florida. He's How great Florida. is that? I talk, he's very proud of me, you know, and he's that he is, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I a few of my teachers, like I had another teacher named uh, William Fisher, arranger. He used to work with McCoy Tyner. He was Whoa. oh man, that guy. He was amazing. He was my composition teacher. I, I had some incredible teachers, you know. Really wonderful, wonderful people. But you also worked at the drum shop. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about the drum shop. And this is all in New York City, right? Right, all in New York. Uh, it was Frank Hippolito's professional drum shop that was on 50th and 8th Avenue. Okay. Above a hardware store. Oh, really? Yeah, right. and it was three stories. You know, you had the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the entrance was on the second floor, and there were two other stories up top that had equipment and areas where people could give lessons. And um, Elvin Jones used to give lessons up there. Elvin Jones? Oh, I used to oh. hang out with Elvin. Oh. I used to hang out, I used to go get Papa Joe Jones, his Hennessy at 10 o'clock in the morning because he would hang out at the drum oh. shop. Papa Joe was beautiful, man. I, I got, I heard so, so many great stories from him. He For those a, of you who don't know who these people are who are listening while they're on the run or whatever, go check these names out. These are the names that... All Papa, of us jazz musicians just idolized. They, Papa Joe was, you know, he was the shit, man. And that, that guy, but the thing was that he always, uh, anything that was great that was done in the past, he said, oh, that was me. No, man, Papa Joe, no. Because Jim Chapin would always bust his chops. One time I was, I was present to a, a conversation between Chapin and Papa Joe Jones arguing about who turned the low boy into a hi-hat. Because the original hi-hat used to be about this high, and it was just a timekeeper. Yeah. And, uh, and for those non-musicians, we're talking about two symbols that basically clasp yeah, together. Right. So. right, right, right. So I would sit there and listen to them. You know, we'd be drinking Heineken's and eating chips at the end, you know, close-up shopping. Yeah. And I listened to this conversation, man. It was just amazing. Eventually, I think they came up with an idea that Babe Dodds was the guy who extended the shaft. Sure. But it could have yeah, yes or no. These are stories know. in folklore, man. But man, that was I mean, hanging in that in that shop was a, the best education I ever got. I used to I really learned how to make drums because they also were a workshop. Hmm. If you know uh any any drummers here? We got drummers, no drummers, drums. You know one. about DW uh the DW pedal with the sprocket? That's where it started at Frank Hippolito's. They would take the Camco pedals and they would convert convert them. A guy named Al Duffy hmm. and another cat. And uh, they used to do all kinds of custom work. They made a custom set for John Bonham the first time he played in uh, Radio City. I mean, uh, Madison Square Garden. Um, they taught me how to tuck conga heads, but that was a big mistake. Because then after that, I had to tuck every head that came in. Oh. I said, Lenny, you got three heads to tuck. <laughs> and if you've ever tucked a conga head, it's a pain in the ass, let me tell you. <laughs> It's, a, it's what you call a knuckle buster. Oh, boy. Yeah. What did you take away from those old timers there at the, uh, at the drum shop? What were, what were they trying to tell you? I mean, what was their advice to you? Dedication, man. If you yeah. want to do it, you have to, you have to put everything down and just do that. Well, were they also talking to you about things other than playing? Were they talking about how you hold yourself and how you uh, 
Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, most definitely. Acting? Oh, definitely. Well, there was something, not that much. Okay. But I got that from watching them. From oh, going see. down to the clubs, you know, and, and digging Miles Davis the way he was always clean and all the cats, you know. They had a thing. You know, they had a thing. And then later on, when I started, uh, when I started doing recording sessions, then I, I started learning how to, you know, you had to be diplomatic. Mm. You had to really carry yourself with confidence. You know, walk in and, 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 uh, and take care of business, you know. Well, how, I mean, we'll talk about this later. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal in mm. getting the gig and keeping the gig. Well, that's where, that's where the hard part comes in. That's Getting true, the gig though. is one thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a lot of these, uh, these young acts that come up, you know, uh, Star is Born or these, these new television shows. These poor kids get thrown into this, you know, the winners. You know, it's like, okay, you're a winner. You got everything, but they don't have any learning process. You know, so they get thrown to the wolves, and they yeah, they have to make yeah. it up as they go along, and which is a learning experience in itself. I would yeah, suppose. but it's the people that don't win, the one, the second, third. Those are the ones that really watch and learn and go, oh, okay, I see what's going on, and they are not inundated with all kinds of here you won this, or the producer wants you to do that, and you know they their learning process is extended. True, you know. So tell me how a guy from New York City gets to California. <laughs> Besides the airplane, Melissa Man Melissa Manchester was the one uh, who brought me out to L.A. She um, how'd she find you? Well, she was I was working at the drum shop. Okay, and uh, the guys who worked at the drum shop were always telling me, you know, the, the older cats they would say, "Man, you got to get out of here. You can't stay here. Don't get stuck here like we are. Okay, you got to get the hell out." So one day, one of the guys got a phone call from Melissa, and they were looking for a percussionist to sing. So one of the guys, I forget it was Ed Gallivan or, or Stanaka-san, one of the guys gave me the number and said, here, call this number. It's an audition. If you don't make it, you can't come back and work here. <laughs> and Frank that's was, motivation and Frank right was, Frank, Frank, Frank Hippolyte was in the back going, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Get the fuck out. We love you, but get the fuck out. <laughs> we love you. So that was how, you know, I went down and I was so nervous about the gig and I got there an hour early before everybody did. And, that's beautiful. And that's that's and that I made the audition out of eight. I think there was eighteen other percussionists who Dang. auditioned, and I was the one that got the gig. You know. How old are you at this point? Nineteen. Nineteen. And, yeah, and I then, was still wearing my high school jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Music and art. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so what? So you moved. It was like okay, here's here's the details of the gig. Yeah. You got to move to L.A. Well, first, what happened was I did a few tours with her. We stayed in oh, New okay. York. You know, I started making some nice money, man, for a kid at nineteen. Yeah, I'm like, wow, I man, can relate this, to and that. traveling on the yeah. bus. And, oh man, it's crazy. Right? Insane. Did you have any idea what you were getting yourself into? I really into? didn't. I okay. really had no idea. You, you know? learned quick, man, I bet. <laughs> yeah. So after a couple of tours, her and her husband decided to move to L.A. And um, I, I went to the, to the bass player's apartment one day, and he's packing all this stuff. And I'm going, Cooker, what happened? He says, oh, you, Melissa's looking for you. Go to her apartment right now. She wants to talk to you. So I go from the east side, run across Central Park to the west side, to go to Missy's apartment. And I'm out of, uh, what happened? She says, I'm moving to L.A. You want to come? That was it. That was it. And your answer was? I ran, course. well, you know, I, I said yes, of course. Yeah. And I ran home and said, Mom, Dad, guess what? I'm out of here. Bye-bye. <laughs> you know, of course, Mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Dad's in this, that's right, okay. You're good. 
Go ahead. So you get to L.A., man, and you're new. You're a new kid in L.A. You have no idea what's. Have you ever been uh, there before? No. Okay. I, so this is like all we new. said earlier. I had no idea what I okay. was. I had no idea where I was going. It was not a plan. But you had. I mean, you you had a great gig. That's the difference, right? Yeah. I, you I get was, to L.A. and you show up with a gig. He had a hit, and Clive Davis. He, that was Clive Davis's baby, and he took care of her. And you know, I was dropped right in a great situation. Because when we came to L.A., she introduced me to a whole bunch of other people. Such as? Hey, everybody. Let's take a quick break because I want to talk to you about a couple different things. First of all, go over to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. That again is www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and that is where you can partner with us and financially support all the good things we're doing here on music on the run of course there's a lot of incentives for you as well number one you get a lot of behind the scenes footage pictures and maybe even some merch i'm sure you can understand it takes a lot to put on these podcasts and we love doing them but it always costs money and we would love to partner with you so go over to patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and we'd love to have you as our partner the other thing i wanted to talk to you about is the company electro voice electro voice is a company based here in minneapolis minnesota and they specialize in pa speakers and of course microphones they've uh, taken good care of us for many many years uh, prior to me starting music on the run podcast uh, i've endorsed them for a very long time and I'm actually speaking into one of their mics right now that is a staple in the radio business called an RE320. You know, what's funny is that I actually use this mic a lot on hi-hats and bass cabinets, and it's so versatile. And it's just one of the many, many super high-quality professional microphones that Electrovoice has to offer. Go check them out. You can find them at your favorite music store or just go online at electrovoice.com. Hey, let's get back to that conversation on Music on the Run. Such like, as uh, Richard Perry, Armin the producer Steiner, Richard Perry. yeah, Armin Steiner, another producer engineer. Uh, 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 um, what's his name? Um, oh man, uh, Schnee. Schnee, yeah, yeah, Schnee. So I got to meet a bunch of a bunch of people, a bunch of bunch of people. So they, were, did, they, did they all of a sudden start calling you? They're like, yeah, hire the kid. Yep, that's what happened because we also were playing at the Troubadour and other places in LA, so people got to see me. Okay. And in those days, you know, word of mouth was really quick. One producer would tell another producer. They just put it on Facebook, yeah? Oh, sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been around that long? I don't know. It feels like it. Hey, Jesus. So, okay, so you get get to this gig and you're, uh, tell me about Miss Ross. (laughs) I want to hear about that session because I think that's a big one. The recording session? Well, because I also went on the road with her too. Oh, did you? And it was not fun. Well, let's let, let's start with the session first. Fun. The session, the session was okay. I mean, she would never really show up. She actually had a girl that sounded like her that would come and sing the songs for her, and then we'd call her up on the phone, going with the phone next to the piano. Richard Perry would have the phone next to the piano, going, "Bing, bing, bing, bing. Is is this too high for you, Diana?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking around going, ain't this some shit? Wow. How weird is that? But, you know, we did it. We right. we played anyway. We did the songs. I think we did the Baby It's Me album. That's where I met Jeff Vaccaro. Wow. The Baby It's Me album. Yeah. So you yeah. meet Jeff. Was that Jeff an instantaneous Bacaro. Oh, yeah. It was kinship? Uh, or as soon as I we, mean, it nothing. was one of those, I know you, 
from another lifetime. We knew each other. We had just met. Right. And we looked at each other and said, man. And plus, we had just finished playing, and we locked like crazy. Yeah. And he, we, we enjoyed each other, man. And he was like, bro. He came to me and Lucas and says, you guys want a gig? Was Luca on the session too? Yeah, he was on it too. He was a little, you know, me and him go back too, me and okay. my bro Luke. He was 18, I was 19. And uh, Jeff got us on the Boss Gags gig. That's how we got Silk on Silk Degrees record? Right after it, after it. Wow. Yeah. That was, it was, it was, that was that the was biggest smoking. record of that, oh, that time. Yeah, we had a, he had a private plane on tour. We had a four-engine Viscount, Rolls-Royce engine Viscount. Oh. We, it sounds like you're an airplane enthusiast as well. A little bit. A little well, bit. I'm a pilot. I can get into that. I love that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you're, here you are, a kid at, in, in your early 20s, mm. a private plane, playing with the hottest artist mm. with Jeff mm-hmm. Picaro, Steve Lukather. Mm-hmm. Is, is this the beginnings of Toto? Yes, okay. pretty much, yeah, because we were, we were Boskag's backup band before... Uh, before they before they decided to do that, and then they they we start they David Page started writing some other stuff. But you, they were, you were on rehearsing. all the sessions. Yeah, I was right yeah, there. I mean, that Jeff of- Jeff wanted me everywhere. Well, how Jeff, great is that? Jeff called me up. I mean, he'd be like, "What you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm getting ready to have dinner." No, you're not. Get in the car, bring a tambourine and a shaker. Come down to the studio now. Really? I'm going. What? Yeah, click. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was it. Go. Yeah. And I'd be on the session. So he'd have you on everything. So you were part of the brotherhood at that point. Yeah. He, you know, me and him just locked. Ridiculous. And now, his pops was a, uh, was a big Joe, uh, yeah. musician. Oh, man. One of, one of the leading percussionists in, in L.A. God bless right. him. Yeah. Was yeah. he a mentor to you as well? Or was that kind of a yes. different He became a, my, my West Coast dad. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. I, uh, the, the, fam- the Picaro family took me under their wing. Him and Aileen, you know, just... They would invite me to their Sunday, you know, Italian dinners and stuff, which Aww. was so good. Oh, God. That's unbelievable. Ooh. And so, I mean, I became a part of the family, man, at, uh, you know, by, at, at 19. And uh, we're still good friends. You know, I miss Jeff and I miss Mike. Yeah. Lot, you know, but uh, that's the way things are. What a beautiful ride. that I mean, it's, it's been for you. How many years have you been in the touring version of, of Toto in total? Since today? the very beginning. Seventy what nine? Yeah, dang. Yeah, but so. It's, yeah. Explain- but I didn't. I didn't. Uh, um, a couple of other guys like uh, Chris Trujillo and uh, Luis Conte did some some of the tours when I because I I got busy with Stevie Wonder and some other people and who, I had who? to. <laughs> huh? What? Did, I don't know. Stevie Wonder? Yeah. yeah no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you weren't necessarily <laughs> in the actual. No, band. I was you not were... assigned. I was okay. not assigned uh, partner. I was not a signed member. But you, I mean, so that's a different. That's a different kind of a thing for you, be acting as a sideman, but, but you were still in the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Was that a positive move for you, do you think? Do you read? Well, I, at first, you know, I, I got really bugged about it. Okay. You know, and I actually went through some depression about it, you know, no especially kidding. on the road, you know, they'd go out and do signings, and I'd be in the hotel by myself, you know, got whatever, it. and they'd get taken to dinners by the record company, and I wouldn't be invited, and other things like that. So it took, it, it kind of took a little bit of toll on me mentally. Okay. But then one day after I came back from a Stevie Wonder tour, I went to Jeff's house and I was like raving. I said, man, I'm, I was out Stevie, man. We played, I played all my favorite songs. And, yeah. And, and Jeff just looked at me and said, yeah, who cares? <laughs> and why is that? Well, you know, he looked at me and he says, you know what? I can't do what you do. 
I'm chained down to record companies and managers. I can't fly around and do shit freely like you do. So you had the freedom to do that. No, no, for those so, people who aren't in the music business right. or listening, when you get signed to a record deal, you have to get permission to do all these other. Well, there's a there's projects. a whole chain of command that yeah. you have to go through. You know, can I do? You know, you have to record companies, managers. I mean, whoever else is involved. Yeah, I mean, you literally there's a and lawyers, <laughs> and, and the whole bit. Not so, to mention, yeah. Yeah. So, but you you had the freedom, and at that point, did you start yeah. to change your mind about then, it? Then, then I started realizing, you know what? Jeff's trying to tell me that I'm in a good place. Yeah, because the, because you know yeah. I didn't anything that happened to the band, either bad or good, would have to happen would happen to me too. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. there was so I was kind of exempt from that, you know. Since I wasn't a, yeah. win, a Isn't member. Isn't that interesting how things work out? You know, like I that. went out with a lot of. I went out when they weren't working. I was gone. Like, who did you get to play with? Tell us a few names because oh. you played with everybody. You got to give us some some idea here. I don't, okay, let me give you an idea. So, <laughs> how about Fleetwood Mac? How was that? Yeah, that was great. That was fun. I did the the dance tour with them, which which turned into a DVD, which was really nice. Um, Mick Fleetwood is a special kind of guy, let me tell you. <laughs> he's large. He's, <laughs> he's so funny, man. He is funny. I used to have to, it was he's, basically babysitting him on stage. He'd, he'd forget his own beat. Yeah. And then, and then I'd be on the congas and he'd be looking at me, you know, you know, deer in the headlights. And then I'd, I'd go, pogo, pogo, toko, and then he'd go, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I love Mick, but he's not one of, you know, he's not a Dave Weckl. He's not one of those, you know, extremely well-educated drummer type guys. But he's a natural guy. He's a guy Boy, that just has a natural groove that he does, and that's what he does. You want to know what's really funny about that is that I have, a, I have my own band called St. Paul and the Minneapolis yeah. Funk All-Stars. And we were coming back from a tour in Australia, and we stopped in Maui, and we played Mick's club. Did you play his club? And we, we played his club, but we had two drummers, Mick. And my buddy Joey Finger. <laughs> oh, Joey, and, yeah. And Joey, I, I so it Joey. was a, it was fan friggin' tastic. Hi, it Joey was, Fingers. Yeah, Joey, he, you missed him. He was here two two days ago at oh. them. But uh, it was fantastic because Mick was doing Mick, <laughs> yeah. and Joey was doing Joey, <laughs> and it was funky, man. So yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. fun. Ricky was on that that yeah, that yeah. gig as well. Yeah. Uh, just because of time constraints, I want to bring yeah, up another ahead. guy who I know is like your brother or was like your brother, and that is Joe Sample. Oh, talk to me a little bit about uh, Pee Wee. Your relationship with Joe and my relationship with him was unbelievable. I mean, it it, it transcended in anything normal. I mean, musically, uh, the whole thing. I mean, we were we were boom coom buddies. We loved yeah. food together. We loved to, we we had a lot of great. We ate. I think I me and him. I wrote a song about him, uh, and my on my on my CD. It's called "Ain't That Some Shit." And there's a story in there. One verse is a story about me and him the first time we ate fugu, which is, um, uh, you know, uh, blowfish, which is poisonous. Right. And me and Joe, we went, we were in Fukuoka, and he says, hey, man, you want to go check some shit out? I said, what? Let's go. Let's go. Come on. So he takes me to this place. I said, oh, okay, we're going to have some sushi. No, man, it's that blowfish thing. You could die from it. You want to have some? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Come on, yeah. let's go. Yeah, let's know? rally. Let's it was go. fantastic. It was amazing. No, it kidding. really was delicious. And we ate live fish, you know, you know, right out of the pool, and it's still, you know, mouth is still shaking and jumping off the plate. Oh man. Sorry, I hope I didn't uh, freak anybody out. <laughs> <laughs> 
But me and Pee Wee, we were drinking buddies before we became musical buddies. We were at? We were at the Baked Potato. We'd, oh. we'd get to the Baked Potato. I'd be coming from a gig, and he'd be coming from a gig, and we'd sit at the bar going, I can't believe the session I just had to get to do, man. And he'd go, yeah, man, this producer had me doing some crazy shit. And then we'd sit there and, and quetch about, you know, the craziness that we had to deal with. And then one day, Joe, we're sitting at the bar, and Joe said, hey, man, you play percussion, don't you? <laughs> I was at Pee Wee, yeah, man, what's wrong with you? Hey, man, come to rehearsal, man. The Crusaders need your ass. Come on down to rehearsal. Oh, yes. You joined the Crusaders at that point? Yeah, I played okay. with the Crusaders for a minute, and then they kind of disbanded, and then right. Joe did his solo thing, and... And, um, oh, my God, I miss him so much, man. That guy, he gave me the opportunity to really uh, um, explore myself. Yeah. He told me one day, he says, man, we got to do a trio, man. You got to come up with a setup that's not like a drum set. What'd you do? I came up with a, it took me about a week okay. to think of it. And he wanted to do a trio, just piano, bass, and me on drums, percussion. So I had, I came up with this setup that was completely three, 360, Half was set and half was percussion. And I would do a combinations. It was kind of, you could say that it was kind of like the beginning of the hybrid time. Mm. I kind of, I might have been a proponent in it maybe, you know. Of course but you were. But it, course it, it were, was un, unbeknownst to me, you know. Joe just wanted something different, you know. All he right. just wanted, he wanted to be able to play his chords without having other guys and do give their interpretations of his chords, you know. Right. It, it, he was very picky about that, but... Hmm. It was Joe Sample, for crying out loud. You know, yeah. you, you get that shit. Hey, play that shit right. Right. You know, but uh, we'd, we'd spend Christmases together. We'd, we went to Japan many times together. I watched him raise his boy. Um, we spent a lot of time together. Two I miss him in a lot. pod, musically and brotherhood. Oh, my God. It was some funny shit, man. Well, we, we miss him. I got to play on one of his records, so we share that yeah, together. Yes, yeah, that's right. We played together separately. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we've done that recently, too. So I want to get to, before we run out of time here, mm -hmm. the, the podcast is called Music on the Run, and, and I want to ask you about your routine on the road. Because Ooh. I already know, because you and I did a tour together in Japan, mm -hmm. With uh, Clementine, right? The yeah, French Clementine. Artist. Yeah, the French, uh, the French girl. So, what's your routine? Do you do you uh, get off the bus or whatever? Do you do you go to the gym? What's what's your? Yeah, uh, I do try to go to the gym and do like yeah. half hour, forty five minute workouts, maybe three or four times a week, if possible. Uh, walking is good, but the thing is, um, what I do on stage is like a two hour aerobics. For sure. You know, but so the thing is not to overdo the exercise, but to keep yourself limber and not to overeat. Aha. Uh -huh. Not to overeat. All right, so let's talk a little bit about that because you're on a tour bus, right? Oh. The gig is done. What's one, the first thing they bring on from catering? One word. Pizza. Gummies. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Is that right? Woo. Do expand, man. Gummies. And, and, and the pizza, too. We call it bus lobster. Bus lobster, <laughs> as well you should. That's, that's like a road terminology for the, you know, for the after-show pizza, which was usually some really like lame, a, a piece of cardboard with Terrible. a little bit of cheese on it. You know? Right, but you unless you were in New York, you got great pizza. So, <laughs> so do do you eat that, or we do not? Eat, or you do I do you know, not I, eat that? No, you fix your shoe with it. Jeez, that's, <laughs> but that, see, that's another thing that used to be really difficult was eating properly on the road. 
now it's a lot better. It's you know a lot more restaurants are a lot more conscious of you know there's vegan, there's vegetarian. Uh, there's a lot more ramen restaurants too. I'm a ramen freak. You're a freak. Well, I love. A, I'll slurp a noodle so fucking quick. <laughs> Oh man, I love ramen. I, I go to Japan and I lose my mind. There are literally thousands of ramen places and you none two are the same. You took me there. I mean I was Did you I take you don't did you, I take you to one? You took me to the outside ones within that are in the Oh the Yatai. Tent. Yeah, the Yatai. Oh those Lenny uh, led me around like I was five years old on our tour to, to uh, Japan because I, did, I, I didn't know. I did that a lot with some uh, with did a you, lot of people. You took good care of me, especially this is back in my drinking days. I'm going to tell this story <laughs> now. Uh, uh, but he sat me down and he was showing me the culture. And in, in, in that culture, if you're having sake and you finish your glass, what do they do? They fill it up. And <laughs> I like hot liquid. I drink a ton of coffee. So I was into this and I was getting... You know, it felt good, and I was kept drinking it and kept filling it up. And by the time I went like this, and you have to get the video podcast to be able to see this now. So I got up and went, whoa. <laughs> I face so, first. So I face planted, and Lenny had first. to, like, hobble me all the way home. He's like, come on, you drunk. So I've, we, car- I've carried quite a few of my buddies. Have you? Tell you oh, That's yeah. pretty, okay, so we can blame you. No, well, no, no, you can't blame me. No, I'm thinking that you're the hero, but I actually think you're the instigator is what I think. Uh, yeah. I've had guys, you know, come on tour with me and say, hey, man, we heard about you, but you're drinking, man. I want to drink with you. I said, no, you don't want to do that. No, you no, don't. No, I want to go drink. No, you don't want to do that. Next thing you know, ooh. So tell me about the, I mean, look, if you, my brother Billy always said to me when we were on the road with Steve <coughs> oh, Miller, he'd say, he'd said, if you're going to play, you got to pay. So he would make yeah. me go run the steps at, at uh, what's the venue in, in, uh, in uh, Colorado? Uh, Red Rocks. Red Rocks. Oh, yeah. So that was my punishment I if I was kid. partying the night before. So you, you try to keep your, I mean, you got to be uh, uh, functioning on uh, all cylinders when mm-hmm. you're playing yeah. for two and a half hours. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just blow it out on the gig or what's the you deal? You just sweat it out. You just sweat, sweat it, it out, out, man, you know, and have another shot, you know, hair of the dog. <laughs> hey, and that's how we survive on Music on the Run, by keeping in shape. Hair of the dog, ladies and gentlemen. We just hey, drink a lot. You know, different just strokes. Like, we different... sterilize our internal organs. <laughs> They're very, very marinated. Oh. Yeah. So do you have you ever had trouble with your chops? Do you do, do you have do you have to do any kind of warm-up, Lenny? But no, no, no. I've never had to do any warm-ups, no. But as far as trouble goes, um when I was with Joe Bonamassa, I started using the in-ear monitors. Yeah. And it wrecked my hands. How so? Because um and you know, guys always tell me I Mr. Ragsdale, there's a good friend of mine, Scott Ragsdale, who was our front of the house mixer for uh, Joe Bonamassa. How you doing, Scott? Love you, bro. Love you. See, the thing is with in-ear monitors and with percussion is that it cuts off what you're getting directly from it, the air that's coming directly from it. You don't get that. And so you start changing your, your body and your hands start oh. changing to compensate wow. for what it's not getting. Huh. And my hands were getting tore up, and eventually I had to tell Jojo I can't use these. Plus, huh. they were getting sweat in them. You know, I used them for the um, for the uh, unplug thing, the thing that we did in in uh, Austria, the uh, Vienna Opera House. Oh God, what a venue! Oh, Mozart yeah. played here. Huh? Oh man, it was amazing. But for that style of music, which was all unplugged, you know, he was playing acoustics, I was playing a whole uh, array of, of uh, different percussion instruments from all over the world 
the in-ears were better for that because it was a lower volume situation, right. you know. And then there was, it was okay. But uh, man, for playing congas or just for playing regular, my regular thing, I, it didn't work. Mm. And I've had experiences with them for a long time. I mean, when I was at Stevie Wonder in 82, I think they started coming out. There was a guy that they used did. to run with him. Yeah. You know, and I, I hated them, man, because after that, the band, there was no, nobody talked to anybody. Everybody was, it was like everybody Closes was, you off a little bit. Yeah, yeah everybody's it, it in does. a phone booth. It, I mean, it does. Everybody's in a phone booth. You go, hey, man, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I didn't know how everybody's not listening to anybody else. Uh, I'm like, I don't interesting. know. Interesting. I don't know about that. We are almost out of time. Oh, Tell so me angry. where, um, we can find you on social media. We want to know what's coming up for you. I'm on Facebook. Okay. You know, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I do have a CD out that's Let me, available on my what's website. What's it called? What's it called? It's called Hands of Silk and Stone. It's killing, which I did my research. It's so Thank good, man. You. You're singing on that. Thank you. Playing on it. <laughs> yeah. Composing everything on that. Yes, 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 yes. So yes, what's up for you fun. for in 2020? Right now... You know, Toto's kind of doing a little dormant right now. We're going to take in a little break. I'm just doing some sessions in town. I'm working on another CD as okay, we speak. Okay, good. I have six, as well you should. I have six songs already. I'm not going to do as many. Uh, I did 10 on the first CD, so I'm just going to do like six on this next situation and not have to kill myself, you know, doing so much. Just whatever comes out, deal with it. So totally. I got two blues tunes on it. Do you? I'm my first blues tunes. Right on, man. Are you singing them? Yeah, you bet. <laughs> You kidding me? Lenny's got the blue. Oh, man. One of them's called It Shouldn't Happen to a Dog. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> shouldn't Happen to a Dog. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for spending time oh, with us Paul, here. I on love music you, man. Your, I love you, too. Your family, man. Your family. Hey, That's Minneapolis shit. By the way, to remind everybody, we're sitting at the NAMM show, and we're in the Electro Voice booth. The mics that we are using are the RE20s. And Evie and, and Music on the Run would like to gift you with an RE20 for your oh, appearance on the show today. Yay! Yeah, so thank you so much for coming. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson, recorded and produced by Davide Razo, video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. A very special thanks to the patrons who financially support this podcast. And remember, Toto will have more spins on Africa than the rest of our catalogs combined.